Welcome to the A Plus EdTech Podcast. My name is Ashley McBride and I'm your host. In this episode, I'm talking to my friend Jennifer Chang Wathal. Jennifer's been in education for over 25 years, and in that time, she's worked all over the world, from Hong Kong to New York and even the United Nations International School. She is now an independent education consultant, and her best-selling book is titled Concept-Based Mathematics, Teaching for Deep Understanding in Secondary Schools. Now, I originally met Jennifer through our doctorate in educational technology program that we're both enrolled in at Central Michigan University, and I can vouch for the fact that Jennifer is a very good mathematics coach as she helped me make it through my last course where we were working on statistics. Hey. Hey, hi. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. You're welcome. So... Can we start by you telling me a little bit about your book? I know it's about math, and I know the word concept is in there somewhere, Um, but I think I've discussed this on my show before, and I've discussed this with you, that I'm not a math person. So can you explain what your book's about? Of course. Um, So my book is titled Concept-Based Mathematics, Teaching for Deep Understanding. And it's basically a framework uh, that can overlay any set of standards, such as the Common Core or the IB uh, standards. And it's a framework for curriculum design to help help teachers and students actually uh, understand mathematics from a conceptual level. So understanding mathematics and understanding the reasons why we um, learn um, the, the different topics in, in mathematics and, and focusing more on the beauty and the creativity of the discipline. So I think traditional mathematics has really been approached in a drill and kill, rote memorization kind of you know approach. And I think we really need to try and encourage teachers to let go of those traditional approaches that have been adopted for the last, I would say, 50 to 100 years from the industrial age and to embrace new, progressive, innovative ways to make mathematics more accessible to students so that we can bring joy back to the classroom for students so that we can allow students to really explore that the beautiful conceptual language of mathematics. Um, I always like to talk about a story um, uh, that was um, given in a keynote by Vicki Colbert, um, and she's a phenomenal educator uh, from South America who's uh, put together a whole lot of schools that follow a, a very wonderfully progressive framework for education and learning in the classroom. And she talks about if you asked a doctor from 50 years ago to come and visit current day hospitals, you know. Um, what would they see and would they be able to recognize um, the the instruments, the procedures? And I don't think they would. There's been such a huge exponential growth in technology, um, in in medicine, that a, a doctor, I don't think would they would have to go back to school and relearn the craft of medicine. Um, However, if you ask a teacher from 50 years ago to come and visit perhaps some of the modern day math classrooms around the world, I don't think they would actually see that much difference. Um, They may still see, 
you know, lots of rows of students listening to a lecture, uh, perhaps instead of on a chalkboard, it would be, you know, using a PowerPoint or writing on a whiteboard. But the actual um, methodology, I think, of maths teaching in the classroom has not progressed as much as other fields, other professions such as medicine. Right, right. And I, I, I agree with you. There are some classes that look the same as when I was in high school, which was not that long ago. And <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure that um, there's there's a lot that would still be still be recognizable. But so you said that it talks your book is about math and this a different type of framework around it. Could you explain to me like what what grade level? So I'm a, I'm a math teacher. I'm not a math teacher. But if I were a math teacher <laughs> and I were to pick up your book, like what about what grade level of a student would your book best best fit for? So at the moment, the title of the book says for secondary teachers, which means middle and high school. However, I must say that the framework, the concept-based mathematics framework works with early years kindergarten. It works with elementary. It works with middle school students as well as high school. And it could also be used for university students studying mathematics. Um, I decided to focus on secondary um, in this particular book only because I think there there is a need for more um, change uh, and, and, and progression um, in terms of you know math pedagogy in secondary. However, for those elementary and kindergarten teachers out there, I would say 90% of the book they could actually access and read. It's only the very specific examples that I give that are middle and secondary. I, um, this reminds me of one of my students that I taught at high school a few years ago. And he's actually in, a, in um, Imperial College in London studying aeronautical engineering. And so I met up with him in London two weeks ago. And he was explaining to me how it was so important, even at university, that he's trying to make these connections between the different mathematical topics he's learning and he's now teaching his fellow students how to actually make the connections create a concept map and not just focus on memorizing a hundred formulae but helping to understand what those essential ideas are what what is the essence of um, what they're learning and so now I feel that you know he's now at university trying to help his his um, his fellow students and and that's why I think this model really can fit not only kindergarten students but it's all the way up to university anyone that's learning mathematics I would say well you said that uh, somehow it brings the joy back to math now yes. I think I had joy in math when I was counting and then after yes. that, I think uh, all of the math joy was sucked out of it. How do you bring? How do you bring the joy back to math? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that point about that. The last time you experienced joy was counting. Everything at kindergarten, early years, and primary is normally very conceptual in terms of mathematics. So normally, elementary and, and kindergarten teachers already teach conceptually, and I think actually that's why you enjoyed it so much because it rather than focusing on rote memorization of formulae and drill and kill, you are trying to understand the concepts and the ideas of counting and the idea of number and place value. I think something goes wrong when we go into middle school and high school, unfortunately, the joy is taken out. Mm 
Um, and so how do we bring joy back? I would say that the concept-based mathematics framework has three dimensions. One dimension is really about the content. And we really have to think about how we present and allow our students to understand the content of mathematics. And the content really refers to the language of mathematics as a conceptual language, in that everything that we learn in mathematics is, is a, a concept. The second dimension really is about design, curriculum design and pedagogy. How are we going to incorporate inquiry-based learning? into mathematics and allow students to enjoy um, uh, discovering and inquiring into different aspects of mathematics. Um, we, under that umbrella of curriculum design and unit planning, we also look at opportunities for differentiation but I believe that everyone should have the same understandings, but perhaps have different access points. So we, you know, we have, we build these beautiful learning engagements in concept-based curriculum where they are high ceiling, low threshold, we call them. So we have these engagements where students can access any kind of um, engagement at any level and exit at any level. They enter at any level, they exit at any level. And then the third dimension really is talking about the affective side of teaching. And I don't think we can ignore the, the personal, the emotional uh, side of teaching and the relationship that we build with our students and the relationship that students build between themselves when they're collaborating together, when they're sharing ideas, when they're, you know, jumping up and down um, out of excitement because they've just discovered or found something that was really um, beautifully creative in, in mathematics. And it's, it's really, I would say, with those three dimensions, it's, it's trying to encourage mathematics teaching to move away from the model of it's all about doing and doing as many problems as you can. You know, practice does not make perfect. If you're a bad driver, you can drive for 10 years and you will still be a bad driver. You know, you've been out on the road, right? There are still bad drivers. Listen, that have been you, driving. I, did you have a conversation with my husband before, before talking to me? And I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a very good point. I'm not a bad driver. Anyway, um, <laughs> you mentioned, so you, so I'm going to take you back to number two, design. And mm. you talked about incorporating inquiry-based learning. Can you give an example of that for, I mean, I for can. anybody who might yeah. want to? Yes. So one of, I would say, the tenets that we really try and encourage in concept-based curriculum is an inductive teaching approach, which actually falls under the umbrella of inquiry-based learning. So an inductive teaching approach is when we present students with specific examples and then we allow students to generalize. So um, as an example, I might give my students a whole list of different types of number and there might be a certain uh, quality or property about the, the different types of number. They have to come up with the generalizations of what they notice rather than me telling them here is the generalization and now you go and find examples. And I can give an English example because I was just working with some English teachers <laughs> Thank you. yesterday. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So 
I was working with these wonderful English teachers at a school in Manila uh, two days ago. And they said to me, when we were having this discussion, they said, well, traditionally, the deductive model is we tell, we explain to students a particular theme. And then they have to go and find specific examples from different texts for that theme. So that's the deductive approach. Now, they explained to me that in their subject area, if it was inductive, they would actually present students with all the specific examples and texts, and then students have to draw conclusions and generalizations based on what those common themes were and, and really justify and explain. Do, does that make sense in the English realm? Yes, it does. <laughs> Excellent. It does, and Excellent. I really appreciate you uh, making that differentiation for me so I yeah. can better understand your... Uh, your framework over here. Um. Wonderful. I would say the inductive teaching approach is something that is a tenant of concept-based curriculum and instruction for all discipline areas. So it's not just mathematics I'm talking about now. So the, the inductive teaching approach is something that we try to encourage because it utilizes the human being's innate, innate quality to pattern seek. So David Souza, who's a you know wonderful uh, writer and researcher, he wrote a book called How the Brain Learns Mathematics. And he says that we are born with this innate quality to pattern seek. We want to be able to pattern seek. So the concept-based model utilizes that innate quality. And just, um, I was, when I was talking to those English teachers a couple of days ago, I said, well, what do you think is the difference between the inductive and deductive? And they said, they, they noticed that, with the inductive, there was a lot more engagement and commitment and investment from the student. That's what they said to me because they had tried different strategies. And they said there was a lot more engagement in students. It was another way to bring back joy to the classroom, coming back to your earlier point. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you said you were in Manila? Yes, in the Philippines. Yeah. Okay. Well... I've said this to you before. What is your life? And how, how do I grow up to have your life? Because so, so just, just so everybody else knows what we're talking about, you travel all over the world and you, you give face-to-face uh, -face professional development, mm -hmm. but you also do online professional development through your website. What's, what's your website again? It's conceptbasedmathematics.com. So oh, well, that's, that's easy. Yeah. How, did I, how did I not get that one? <laughs> so all my online courses are hosted on that. Um, but then I have my own landing page uh, on jenniferchangwaffle.com. Um, and that will kind of help you see um, what my schedule's like so that if you did want to attend a face-to-face. -face. Um, so I have just retired from a 27-year uh, teaching career in secondary school. And uh, it was a very, very difficult decision for me. I, I have to say I love my students. I still keep in touch with many of them. And I think it's an honor to be a teacher in the classroom. It is um, something that the, the rapport that we build with our students and the relationships cannot be replaced by any video um, or any textbook, to, to be honest. And so when I retired, it was very difficult, but I was juggling two careers for the last 10 years. 
And I decided that um, last year that I would pursue one career full time and, and travel and, and meet wonderful educators. Um, sometimes they're math educators, sometimes they are all disciplines because the concept based model really can, can um, frame any discipline area. And I decided to um, pursue this, this wonderful life that I have to meet educators who inspire me and who really um, embrace uh, this model that actually focuses on teaching for understanding. I think as all, all teachers have a goal that they want their students to be able to understand and, and enjoy learning, you know, and, and have joyful maths learning and specific, uh, specifically in the classroom. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I get to actually meet and collaborate with many educators in my travels. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you, so you, if, the, if they go to your website, yeah. And there, is there a schedule? Do these uh, online PDs, are they during a specific time frame or is it like you can take it whenever? Okay. Um, I hold them three times a year. So February, May, and normally around November. So if you go into conceptbasedmathematics.com, you'll see when the next courses are. And we, I adopt a cohort format. So that means that we work together week by week. So within the week, uh, teachers are able to access material and learn and read and discuss at their own leisure and time. But I feel that um, working in a cohort format where we work together week by week just helps us to be able to connect. You know, the, the online community is, is so important when, when we're not in a face-to-face -face situation. So I love how when we have these discussions, we're able to actually really build relationships and, and build trust as well to be able able to share and also to be able to say like I, I don't know the answer and you know let's have a discussion about it and find our way together um, that's the kind of goal I do also schedule face-to-face -face Skype sessions I think it's really important that as educators you know I've, I've had six out of seven continents of participants and so it's been challenging with the time differences but I think it's important that we do have that synchronous face-to-face -face as well so normally it's a it's a four-week course by week three we have a synchronous chat and a catch-up and over the four weeks um, teachers from around the world form groups to build to collaboratively build a full concept-based mathematics unit and it could be focusing on early years elementary middle school or high school so by the end of that four years they've hopefully met some wonderful people from around the world they have a unit that they can actually use in their classroom and trial and keep improving and modifying um, and and hopefully they have moved their focus and emphasis in the math classroom from the drill and kill and constantly doing to something that brings back joy and engagement and excitement in our students. About how many people would you say are usually in these cohorts? I normally keep them very small, so they're very limited because um, the feedback process is, is instant. <laughs> and with the groups, yep. Yeah, so I would say that I, I, I limit it at 20. I would say 12 is the optimal number. I think so between 12 and 20 is, is actually the limit. Yeah. So did you, I have to ask, did you do the video chats uh, before 
you uh, joined the doctorate program with us? No, no, I did not. My first time, the first time I ran this online course was completely different to how I run it now. I've learned so much, I think, in terms of having face-to-face synchronous chats, uh, removing a lot of heavy text as well. And a lot of, I've removed a lot of, you know, uh, laundry lists of I think expectations by the week because I think there's content overload cognitive overload well you just so read I've, it you just showed you, us an article just a, <laughs> just a little bit ago about that that yes um, yeah just and falls just, right into your research there you it go does. <laughs> it really does yep completely relevant and so the you know people that did my course a few years ago that it would be completely different now because I'm hoping that I'm constantly improving um, engagement motivation and and hopefully the learning and the, the shift in pedagogy which ultimately will result in students experience improving in the math classroom. I will say that with all of the classes I've taken before I do enjoy the face-to-face even though we're not in the same room but the Mm -hmm. face-to-face on the on the zoom or the skypes or the uh, google hangouts and everything and just the fact that i can put a name to a face and we can have we can have those conversations and then after a while i mean our little group doesn't even want to break up like I don't exactly. I don't think I'd be in this program anymore if it wasn't for ha- for being with you guys. So I think the yes. fact that you're doing a cohort is fantastic because you're right. There is that piece of see. I'm not used to having people all over the place. I've only ever done PD with with the teachers that I work with in these in these uh, in these schools, and um, they already have that because. Mm. They eat lunch together and they they work together and they're in PLCs together. But that's a lot harder to do online. Yeah, it is when you're in different continents. I think, you know, we as human beings are social beings. We're, we're born as social beings. And if we don't have, if we're not given opportunities to learn in a social context. So I'm a big believer of the social constructivist, you know, model where we actually, through our social interactions and our personal interactions, construct our own meaning and understanding, but have a much deeper meaning and understanding of, of things. So um, I'm hoping that I create opportunities for that. (laughs) Speaking of our doctorate program, um, you and I have very similar research interests, and we were talking about the need for sustainability in professional development earlier. And I'm wondering, with all that you do, I I know that your online stuff is sustained because you explained that already. But what about these face-to-face things with the schools? I mean, are you just going in and doing a a one-and-done type PD? Because, I mean, we just talked about how research shows that that teachers need sustainability. So how are you accommodating that? That's such a good point because I can just see how my role has changed over the last 10 years in terms of facilitating PD. So 10 years ago, I would go into a school three days, and then we'd be done. 
And then I wouldn't hear from the school after the three days. So it would be like, you know, here is the framework. Now you go and run with it. And I think, as we said, that the research shows that that's not sustainability and, and people cannot actually really experience that shift in their pedagogy just with a, a one-off one-time PD. So I would say in the last few years, schools are actually recognizing this and, and, and wanting more continuous, ongoing support and PD in order to be able to shift faculties, you know, especially if they want um, faculties to embrace some of the more progressive and innovative ideas, such as using educational technology or using more non-traditional ideas. So I would say, um, quite a few schools have, we co-create a two to three year PD plan together. And it means that I go and visit them quite a few times a year, perhaps four or five times a year. But over the course of two to three years of, is around the average. If you really want to see an impact in the classroom with students, I think the PD has to be supported and ongoing. And my role really is as a coach. So I've done some performance coaching uh, training and, you know, I, I'm there to coach teachers once they have done the initial uh, two to three day foundational course and understand the framework of the concept based model for any discipline area. Then my role is then to really support the school and the faculty and taking them through this journey to then go into the finer details of unit planning and curriculum mapping, you know, making sure that there's that vertical and horizontal alignment within the curriculum. Um, then, you know, moving on to perhaps assessment and then really supporting the faculty in terms of what they think, you know, assessment for understanding what that should look like. Um, so there are, there are many, many elements. Um, there's a huge movement, I think, now at the moment for 21st century skills and fostering and, and developing those 21st century skills, such as collaboration, communication, critical thinking and problem solving uh, and self-management. So looking at, you know, cognitive teaching students cognitive strategies, teaching them metacognitive strategies, but also teaching them effective skills and, and strategies. And so now, um, as well as the concept-based model and framework, I, I support schools in the development of how to explicitly articulate those 21st century skills in their curriculum and be very purposeful about developing those skills with their students alongside the content. I think that there's this false dichotomy that people think you either, you know, promote and develop 21st century soft skills or you develop content and rigor and challenge. However, that's a false dichotomy. I think they go hand in hand. You no, know, I we, completely we, agree. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. that's pretty much what my whole job as a coach was, uh, was to uh, get the technology embedded into the curriculum and not... Uh, so if you need a partner next time that you are uh, in um, Paris or you are in uh, Italy or yes. all of these wonderful places you go, uh, feel free to hit me up because okay for sure <laughs> I for sure we'll get a duo out on the road um <laughs> it may take some convincing for my husband to watch the kids all by himself but i'm in <laughs> it's for it's for the greater good it's it for is. the greater 
It is. Um, and if ever you want to come over to Raleigh, you have a, a room you can share with one of my children. Excellent. Um, Thank you. Because <laughs> we, we don't tend to have spare bedrooms around here. Um, <laughs> so these, okay. So one question I have about your PD with the schools and you're doing all of this coaching and everything. Are you taking an entire faculty or are these, are these smaller groups of faculty? Okay, so um, I am able to take an entire faculty when it comes to laying the foundations. I think once when we lay the foundations, I've had, I think, up to around 200 teachers together uh, wow. in the lecture theater. Yeah, and, and you know, my, my workshops are very interactive, so I'm not lecturing for three days. Yeah. Um, everyone is really working in groups to co-construct their understanding and meaning. And so it actually, if you think about it, if it's always um, under that kind of tenant, then it doesn't matter how many educators you have in the room. Because that you know people are going to be collaborative, working in groups, and critically thinking, and building their understanding, and it's just a matter of me trying to get around to everyone, I think. But after that, um, when we have two to three year plans, it, it becomes that I work with different teams. Sometimes it's a leadership team and where the faculty want to go. Sometimes it's different subject teams, and and specifically where English wants to go or where history wants to go in, in terms of their curriculum development. Um, I go into lessons as well and coach um, in a very uh, peer coaching way. You know, we co-create and, and we discuss what the teachers want me to look out for or what they want me to notice in terms of their lessons. And, and so we co-create lessons, but we go in, we, um, you know, discuss, you know, the, the things that um, are areas for development for the individual teacher. So it's a combination. I think over three years, there's a lot more interaction with smaller teams, but to lay the initial foundation so that everybody's on the same page and that we're all moving in the right direction and have the same goals, um, you know, that, that's normally the entire faculty of around 200 people, 200 well, if teachers. You can, if you can make people fall in love with math again, then... <laughs> Um, I'm sure it is well worth going to, yeah. uh, your yeah. sessions. I'm, I'm actually interested in, in trying to come to one myself. Of course, Excellent. I'm never overseas, so it would have to be around here. Um, so I am, well, well, Ashley, I am coming to Houston. Uh, Alexis Wiggins is hosting a huge conference in July. And so she's got, you know, I, I'm going to do a two-day concept-based mathematics. Thomas uh, Gutsky is going to be there. There's going to be some people from the International Baccalaureate. So, and then I'm also going to St. Louis in Missouri for their uh, STL conference, which is in June. So I'm hoping that's Those are just short, like 10 hour flights from, <laughs> from, from, uh, maybe not 10 hours, but you know, a few hours, just three, there's four. Hope. Yeah. There's, there's hope. hope. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I can hop on an airplane and <laughs> yeah. Um, those are, those aren't near Raleigh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but if you want to swing by here, um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, what I want to go back to, um, talking about your time in the classroom. Uh, mm. and I want you to, to think what was your favorite math lesson, whether it's something you gave over and over, or it could even be just one time with a specific group of kids. 
What is your favorite mm. math lesson uh, or your favorite story from from those days? Um, in terms of stories, there are so many stories, I would say, but I, I'm going to focus, I think, on a particular learning engagement that if there are any math teachers out there, maybe they can, you know, get some ideas. Um, I have this one activity in my in my book that I go into detail about and write about, and it's called Spaghetti Curves, Spaghetti and Sign Curves, it's called. And it's a learning engagement. See, already I've got a smile that for you. You do. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about spaghetti. I love to use food items in my math lessons because I think it's highly motivating for students. Um, so it's basically um, a 90 minute learning engagement for students where they use spaghetti and they actually generate trigonometric functions so it, it's a function that's normally dealt with sign the sine curves normally dealt with at high school um, and it, and it requires quite an investment of time so they it's a very kinesthetic activity there's a lot of discussion there's group work and the result of it is is really they produce this beautiful sine curve which gets displayed so if I have five or six of them they get displayed in the classroom and they're used later to solve very complicated trigonometric equations because I think the visual, the power of visualization in mathematics is often really ignored. And I think we need to really always show that dimension in mathematics learning that there is that, that visual, the power of visualization and looking at creating different representations. Now, um, it's actually funnily enough, this activity is in the chapter that's titled, How do I integrate technology into the classroom? But there's no technology whatsoever no i disagree with you spaghetti is technology <laughs> I, I i i have this argument with people all the time your pencil and paper they are technology they're they're yep. older forms of technology but yes. you have taken food and made it classroom technology yeah i love that okay i love that idea but um when i put it in the book so i've got all these other traditionally more digital tools um, right. outlined in the chapter. But I put this one in because I put the caveat that you only use the EdTech tool if it's going to enhance learning. And so with this spaghetti curves, I can I have applets. There are many applets available online that can actually show you that curve generated in 10 seconds. But I choose not to use those applets because the level of engagement and interaction and the critical thinking that's going on during that 90 minute spaghetti activity is far more valuable than watching in a, in a very passive role, a 10 second applet that can show you the same thing. So while I'm a big advocate of educational technology, it has to be used in a very meaningful way to enhance learning. Yeah. Right. Right. You can't just use it to, give them a different exactly. type of lecture or to give exactly. them, uh, you know, like you said, a model that if they created it with their hands, they would, they yes. would understand it better. That's, exactly. That know. is, that is ed tech. That's the problem with educational technology in a nutshell right there, isn't it? Yeah, completely. Everybody wants everything to be faster so they can hit more standards and they can move mm. on and they can get ready for that test, which, we were talking about earlier too uh, when uh, we were in class um, and those those tests and <laughs> yes yes 
But um, so I really, I really appreciate the fact that um, you're willing to have the kids have that hands-on time. And I think that's, that's really hard to, I think that's hard to do in math. At least I, I haven't mm. seen a lot of it. Mm. And I think that's because of how mathematics has traditionally been approached, that it's not about group work and, you know, interaction and discussion. And it's not about inquiring into uh, something by being given examples and then being asked to generalize. It, it's, it hasn't been traditionally approached in that way. And so I think, Ashley, if you went back to the math classroom in a concept-based math classroom, I think you would love it. And, you, you know, it bring the joy back for you for, for this very beautifully creative subject that we have called mathematics. Yes. Well, um, I have enough schoolwork to do now. So <laughs> don't you. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to go back to the math classroom right this second. But, um, I appreciate the invitation and, and maybe one day, one day yeah. you, can, you can be my math tutor and you can take me back through all of that. Um, I might need you to when my children start to get older and I stop understanding their math right now. My <laughs> oldest is in first grade and I'm, I'm still getting it, you know, the whole adding, because it's, because adding it's conceptual. numbers and yeah, yeah, it's, it's completely <laughs> conceptual at that age. That's why you get so, it. So yeah. But once, once he gets to uh, fractions, he may be, he may be well out of my league. So, um, I'm kidding. I'm not really this. <laughs> <laughs> was, I, can, I can figure it out maybe anyway um so I want to thank you so much for taking the time I know that the time zones are a killer and um I really appreciate it and I have enjoyed talking to you as I always enjoy talking to you I know we don't normally record our uh, conversations for public consumption um but uh I, I do I do enjoy it. So thank you very much. No, thank you, Ashley, for um, hosting me on your channel and, um, you know, just allowing me to be able to share my passion with you so that you can kind of understand what I'm about to. Yeah. I, I love nerding out with other teachers. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't matter what they teach. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. To contact Jennifer or to get access to her book, you can find her at jenniferwathel.com. You can also find all of the items that you need that we talked about in this episode by going to aplusedtech.com. Mm -hmm.